You're listening to the Life Tree Community Church Podcast, recorded on Sundays in Robbinsville, New Jersey. Our goal is to help you grow from root to fruit. Thanks for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. All right, thank you, Danielle. Appreciate it. So uh, that was a great job, great job. We got to work. Well done, well done. Now you can turn to Exodus chapter 25. You've had a lot of time. You should be there already. Seriously. Um, so we're going to be finishing up our Tabernacle series uh, this week. It's been nine weeks. We've been looking at the uh, the Old Testament Tabernacle. Can you believe it? Believe it's been nine weeks. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You can believe that for nine weeks we've been talking about the same thing, and you're ready for me to be done. I know. I will try and uh, finish this up quickly. So next week, no more tabernacle, I promise. Um, hopefully it's been insightful and you've come to have a better understanding of kind of what the Old Testament's about, what uh, the tabernacle means, you know, uh, of who Jesus is, of where worship fits in the whole thing. And uh, so that's, that's been my goal for this series. So let's just summarize it. If this is, you know, if you're a guest today or if you haven't been here the whole thing, that's okay. No worries at all. I will try and catch you up as fastly. As fast as I can, fast, I made up a word, as fast as I can, and as quickly as I can, that's a better word, um, and so we'll do that. So here we go. So week one, right, this is the tabernacle, right, this is the whole tabernacle. So you got this square, right, and the tabernacle is God's home. He said, hey, listen, I want to live among my people, remember, Exodus chapter 25, he said, have the people build me a holy sanctuary, a tabernacle, so I can live among them. So they lived in tents. Right, they had like a tent city, right, of just tents. And he said, build a tabernacle right in the middle so I can live right in the middle of my people. I want to be with them, right? It's uh, like just, just right there. So this was the house that God had them build for him. This is, the, this is his tent. It was portable. They could move it because they would travel around, pick up their tents and go. So this was portable too. But it reveals something about God when we look at it. Remember this had all sorts of things in it. Right, it represents sort of like a, a creation of sorts because there's so many elements of creation. There's stones and fabrics and, and wood and, there, and metals. This was so many elements in creation. And so what you see is you've got these three rooms, the outer courtyard, the holy place, and the holy of holies. Three different rooms, different levels of access to each room. Right? So this purple line here on the right represents the, the gateway into the very first outer courtyards. Every, all the Jews could come in here. Right? All the Jewish people were allowed to come into that outer courtyard. And it was, it was, there was a gate literally into it. And Jesus, we know, said what? said, I am the gate. Right? The sheep come through me. They come, you come to know God through, through me. So we, we find in this tabernacle that not only did God reveal himself, but Jesus then revealed something, how he now is the pathway to having a relationship with God. Jesus said, I'm the gate. We come in. And then there was the altar of burnt offerings, right? The barbecue. Right? Every time they failed, every time they sinned, they had to come bring an animal and sacrifice an animal to pay for what they did. It was that, that, that fire never went out. 
They constantly, constantly. Like I grilled some hamburgers and hot dogs yesterday. We had a good time. I grilled two veggie burgers. That is an abomination. I don't even know what was in those things, but like I grilled them for a long time and they did not get crispy. I don't know what they were supposed to be like. I just, hmm. That, that barbecue never stopped burning. It was relentless. It was overwhelming. It was, imagine that every time you failed, every time you did something wrong, you'd have to kill something else. The guilt that you'd feel. The cost. But then Jesus said, no, I'll be the sacrifice once for all time. And he came and he laid on it. And he laid on the altar and he gave himself down once for all time. And now we no longer need to sacrifice. Now we bring a sacrifice of praise. We just get to go right into God's presence with worship. Right? And then you come to the labor, the wash basin. Right? It was just a pool with water, just a little like a, a sink. Right? And they would wash because they had just done sacrifice. And they had to wash themselves clean and purify themselves again. Because life just gets messy. So we just constantly, Jesus said, I will wash your feet. I will wash you. I'll wash you clean. Right? So how do we stay clean in a dirty world? We wash often. Right? So every day we just come back to Jesus and he washes us. Right? Not, not, not just from sin, but just from our stuff. Right? And we wash. And then you come into the second, the second room, the holy place, and there would have been a door there. And this was only for the priests. Only, like the, the regular people couldn't go there. This was only, this was exclusive. Right? They had all sorts of a dress that they had to wear, right? A costume. Like they had stuff that they had to wear, all these kind of coverings. They had to go through this whole ritual process to get in there. It was not accessible. But then Jesus said, I'll be the priest. And then he turned around and says, and guess what? I will make you royal priests, a holy nation. I will declare you priests. I will give you access closer to God. And you can turn around and give others. You can lead others into the presence of God. Remember that we talked about, I think we gave out these little jewels Guys, remember that we gave out little jewels because the priests wore the ephod, right? Everybody, anybody bring your ephod today? Nobody wore your okay. So it was like a little like square thing, and they would have all these stones on it—twelve stones to represent the twelve tribes of Israel. Right? And that when they went into the presence of God, it wasn't just them, but they were representative of the people. But now we get to bring all the people into God's presence, so we get to walk in, right? And then there was a table with bread, right? The bread was always on the table. It was fresh bread. They, it was constantly new. Bread is what we have every single day. Right? Bread is your daily provision. Give us this day our daily bread. And the bread is always on the table. When you go into the presence of God, He's always got what you need. His provision is always there. Right? And it would, oh man, bread. Every week, I like, I like the bread one, man. That was a good message. I had fun with that one. I liked, I liked, we ate bread too. That was good. Um, so then, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I'll be the bread of life, right? And so he said, come and you'll find provision in me. You will never be hungry again. Just come to me every day and I got what you need. So as we continue to walk through into the presence of God, we find that Jesus begins to satisfy all of these things. And then you come to the menorah. Like there was a golden lampstand. We talked about this, right? 75 pounds of solid gold, $1.75 million lamp. That's a nice lamp, right? And that lamp represented the truth of God. Light reveals truth. It always reveals truth. That light never went out because the truth and God go hand in hand. And his light never goes out. God is always true no matter where, no matter who lies, no matter how good they are lying, no matter who believes the lie, the truth is always true. Right? And that light never goes out. And then Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He said, and you are the light of the world, like a city on a hill. Right? I'll empower you to now not only 
am I doing this, but now I'm enabling you to do these things. And we're building. And we come forward now to the altar of incense. It was a fragrant altar. Right? It would constantly smell. It would be this special blend of spices right? that would just be burning continually because that was the aroma, the fragrance of God. And we talked about how in here you can see all the senses. Not only did God go with all creation, but you've got sight, sound, right? taste, touch, smell, all of them. All those senses are woven into this tabernacle, to God's house. I'm going to engage you, heart, mind, and soul. And you come to the altar of incense, and that fragrant offering would be representative of the people's prayers going to God. And Jesus says, my life is poured out as a fragrant offering. I will be that fragrant offering. He says, and when you lay down your life and follow me, your life becomes like a sweet-smelling offering to the world around you. You smell better right, when you follow Jesus. So God just continues to walk through. And then last week we get to the veil. Right? The most holy place was where God actually lived. Right? And only the high priest could go in there once a year. So you've got a million plus people. One person once a year could go in there. Everybody else, we never actually got to go in. It's like getting to go to the movie theater, smelling the popcorn, and you sit in the lobby. But you never get to watch the movie. You never get the presence. You never get... Jesus, so there was this veil that was there when, when Jesus came and he tore the veil. And he gave us access through the curtain into God's most holy place so we can come boldly into the presence of God. Right? God gave us access into his very presence. He says, hey, come in. I'm not looking for you to be separate. I want you to come all the way in. So we walk through the outer courts, through the holy place, into the holy of holies, and we come to the very last piece now, the last piece of furniture in the tabernacle is the ark. No, not that one. Not that, not, not, not that ark. Okay. My goal is to preach such a good message that your faces melt off. No. Okay. If you haven't seen the movie, it won't make any sense. And if you're under 20, you might not have seen the movie. So, I don't know. Exodus 25, if you're there, it'll be on the screen. We're going to read as well. It says this, Have the people... Make an ark of acacia wood, a sacred chest, 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and 27 inches high. So it's not so bad, just like a little, you know, like a chest, right? Overlay it inside and outside with pure gold and run a molding of gold around it. Cast four gold rings and attach them to its feet, two rings on each side. Make poles from acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings at the sides of the ark to carry it. These carrying poles must stay inside the rings. Never remove them. You don't want to touch this ark. You can read other things about what happened when people tried to put their hands on the ark. Let me tell you, it's not pretty. You don't touch. Those poles were to keep people, because this was, this was I mean, this is the one thing that's in the most holy place that God's actually there. Don't touch this. Okay? When the ark is finished, verse 16, place inside it. So it's a box. It's a place inside it, right? The stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I will give to you. Then make the ark's cover, the place of atonement from pure gold. It must be 45 inches long and 27 inches wide. So you've got this box and like a cover that would go on it, all covered in gold. Then make two cherubim. Cute little angels. No, these are angels. These are not cute little things. Right? We think of cherubs. Like, oh, yeah, no, these are, these are angels. These were not, like, you know, genteel. Um, from hammered gold, place them on two ends of the atonement cover. Mold the cherubim 
on each end of the atonement cover, making it all of one piece of gold. The cherubim will face each other and look down on the cover with their wings spread above it. They will protect it. So imagine one cherubim on this side, one on this side, wings coming out, touching, meeting in the middle, right? Covering it. Place inside the ark the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant which I will give you. Then put the atonement cover on top. And here it comes, verse 22. I will meet with you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the ark of the covenant. From there I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. So here we have the box, right? This ark was a box. Think about it. So here is the ark, right? It's a box that originally contained the commandments. Right? So, if we can show that, go back, I think it's the next one. The next one, here we go. Here we go. Alright, and it contained this, the law. It was a box which contained the law. Ten commandments, right? We know ten commandments, right? Two stone tablets, right? You've seen Moses, the movie, right? That's what goes into the box. And that law tells us about the lawgiver. Right? The law tells us about the lawgiver, right? So we know about the ten commandments, right? Right, honor your father and mother, have no other gods, don't lie, right, don't steal, don't murder, don't right all those things they reveal to us who God is because God is truth, so we don't lie. Right? We we don't steal because He provides what we need. Right? We don't covet because we have what's enough for us. Right? We don't murder because that's not up to us. God's vengeance is his, we justice is his, right? We we don't do those things. Honor your father and mother. The law revealed who who God is, and it was contained in the ark. So the law tells us who God is. So inside this box are Ten Commandments telling us who God is. Cool. All right. But it also came to hold other things, two other things. Exodus chapter 16. It'll be on here. It says, Then Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Fill a two-quart container with manna to preserve it for your descendants. If you remember what manna was, when they were wandering, when the children of Israel left Egypt... And they were wandering in the desert. They needed food. So God provided food miraculously from heaven. He said it was like coriander seed, tasted like honey wafer. It was a white flaky substance, right? And they would gather it up every day. And you weren't supposed to keep any to the next day because it would go bad. But every day there would be new provision. New provision day after day after day. So people didn't trust it. Like, well, listen, I don't know if it's going to be here tomorrow. I'm going to get extra. The next day it was bad. God's like, I told you, I got you. Just trust me, day after day, for 40 years, they'd wake up and there'd be this miracle provision. Manna literally translates, what is it? I don't know what that is. What is it? Exactly, that's what it is. So every time we say manna, what is it? I don't know, it's a miracle, and it tastes good, and it'll sustain you. And it's interesting because the day that they get into the promised land, manna stopped. Right? The day that they no longer needed, it stopped. But for 40 years, day after day, they trust God. Right. So he says, fill. So they're in the middle of this right now. He says, fill a quart with that right a container. Then later generations will be able to see the food I gave you in the wilderness, which is interesting because it goes bad. But he said this one, uh-uh, I got I got control over this. This is not going to go bad. So for generations, that manna stayed good. What is it? I don't know. So they put it in a sacred place. Skip down to verse 34. It says, Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he eventually placed it where? In the Ark of the Covenant. In front of the stone tablets inscribed with... So now in this, you've got the tablets, the law, who God is. Now you've got the manna, which tells us what God does. 
But he provides for us day after day, right? It's a testimony of miraculous provision, right? It's a reminder of who he is and what he does. But wait, there's more. Here we go. Numbers, right? Chapter 17. People were questioning God's authority. They wanted their own priest. Remember, God said, Aaron, his family, they'll be priests. This is going to be their lineage forever. They're the ones that get to be the sacred priest. People, oh, we, we'll be priests. We can do this ourselves. We don't need Aaron. Right? We, we can do this. So God says, all right, you want to do this? Let's have a showdown. Bring your walking sticks. Have these staffs. Bring your stick. All right, here we go. And this is what's going to happen, right? I'm going to do something special. Numbers chapter 17, verse 6 tells us, So Moses gives instructions to the people of Israel. And each of the twelve tribal leaders, including Aaron, brought Moses a staff. So they're all like, well, I, I want to be a priest. Twelve tribes. I, I can be a priest. Not just him. I can be a priest. Moses placed the staffs in the Lord's presence in the tabernacle of the covenant. So he brings it into the tabernacle. Okay, we're just going to leave him there. Let's go. Let's go take a sleep, right? When he went to the tabernacle of the covenant the next day, he found that Aaron's staff, representing the tribe of Levi, the one God had said, had sprouted budded, blossomed, and produced ripe almonds overnight. It's a stick. When Moses brought all the staves out, he showed them to the people. Everybody's like, oh. They went and got their regular walking sticks, and Aaron's like, you know, picking it up, eating the almonds. These are good. These are, you know, right. And the Lord said to Moses, place Aaron's staff permanently. Before the Ark of the Covenant. To serve as a warning to rebels, this should put an end to their complaints against me and prevent any further deaths. God says, hey, listen, the staff represented my supremacy, my authority. I'm sovereign here. I rule. He is who he says he is. And guess what, Aaron? He is who I say he is. God's got all authority. So the Ark is a symbol of God's law. It revealed who he is. Right? Manna of his provision his power of what he can do, right? But also of his supremacy, of his authority, right? God said he's going to actually descend from heaven now and rest on this box. So we've got a box. Inside the box tells us so much about who God is, right? It was like a, like a box filled with just identity. And God says, I'm actually going to descend from heaven and rest on the cover of the box, and it's interesting. He calls the box, the, the cover there, an atonement cover. It literally translates mercy seat. A mercy seat. Right? God was going to sit on the cover of this ark. Now, listen, everything in that tabernacle is building up to this. It's the pinnacle of his presence. God actually lives and sits on this ark, on this box, on this cover. Right? It was his, his throne. He was the king. He made the laws. He provided for his people. He had all the authority. And this is where I'm going to sit. You walk through the courts, through the holy place, past all those things, and you come to the very throne of God, which is found in this ark. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's cool. But who sits on the throne? The king. And what, what does the king do? Whatever he wants. That's what the king does, right? If you want to know who a king is, watch what he does when he's on his throne. If you want to know what a king did, who a king is, watch what he does when he's on his throne. Because here's where a king would rule. 
to where the king would issue. This is this is my throne. It's pretty sad, right? That's it's, it's nice. I, don't know, I think I got this at Ross. I'm not sure. It's, it's like ten years on. Oh, like nine years old now. We got this a long time ago. I've been sitting on this stool for a long time. Yeah. Eventually, I'll need a new one. But um, I like it. It's comfy still. Still got some stuffing in it. But from the throne, the king would judge. People would come to him, bring their cases before him, and the king would, you, 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 right? Yeah, no, you're free to go. No, off with their head, right? The king would just sit there and, and execute judgment from, because it's the king. Sitting on a throne. I got the power. I got the authority. I can do what I want. I'm the king. So they would execute judgment. You've got good kings and you've got bad kings, all sorts of kings. But when the king sits on the throne, they get to do what they want to do. People would be brought before the king. It could be a very scary place, a terrifying place. And you couldn't just come to the king's throne, right? If the king took his scepter and was like, okay, you get to come. If you just walked up to the king, we read about this in Esther. She was terrified to come to the king because he didn't ask. And if she even just walked up to the king while he's on his throne and he, didn't, he wasn't having a good day, he could be like off with her head, I want another queen. The king is supreme on his throne. See, the king has the power. So the furniture, the actual furniture, though, tells us much about the king, right? We know that fake Santa, right? Fake Santa, where does he sit? Come on, let's go. Fake Santa sits on a throne of lies. That's where he sits. Fake Santa sits on a throne of lies, and he smells like beef and cheese, right? There you go. The king of seven kingdoms, where does he sit? He sits on an iron throne, right? Where's the iron throne? We got the next one? Come on, let's go. Here we go. Next one. Nope. Nope. There we go. Iron throne. Right? Sits on the iron throne. What does that tell you? What does the furniture tell you? That's a king of war. It's a king of violence. That's what it tells you. The king of England sits on a coronation chair. It's covered in gold. It's got lions on the bottom. That sits in, I think it's Westminster Abbey. Anybody ever actually seen that in person? Anybody? Pete's seen it? All right. Yeah, a couple. All right. All right, all right we got a few. All right, you know what that tells you? It tells you gold, lions, nobility. Right? That's what it's, right? That's, that's what it tells us, right? Some thrones speak of opulence, right? You've got gold thrones, opulence. Some thrones speak of um, comfort. Comfort, yes. Some of you, that's, you have your own throne, you know? Like, there are other thrones. We won't get into those thrones. I didn't want pictures of those thrones. Okay. So you've got to think about this now, right? So God says, I'm going to design my own throne. And he calls it a box. And he says, and I want this. And it's more about what's in my, my throne, right? And, I'll, and there's, I mean, down to the very inches, right, with angels on the side. Like, he's very specific about what he wants on his throne. And he calls his throne a mercy seat. Think about that. I'm going to call my throne a mercy seat. Now, mercy, so, so we know, is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting the punishment that you do deserve, Right? Someone once said, when having my portrait painted, I don't want justice, I want mercy. Right? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And God made the place of judgment, a throne where he sits and executes judgment. He says, I'm going to call the judgment a place of mercy. Think about that. Atonement. He made the judgments 
a place of atonement. Atonement means a place where everything is made right. Right? Think of, I just, I just, an easy way is to split the word into three words, at one meant. At one meant. Atonement. That will, will be one. That will make everything okay. You come and, and man, you need to pay for this. I need to execute judgment on you, but I will, I will atone. Mercy. Really. Mercy. God knew all the ways people messed up. And yet he chose to make his throne a place of mercy. You walk all the way through and you're going to come to the throne of God and you're going to find mercy. Because he's called it atonement. Hebrews 4.12. So what? So what this morning? That's all well and good. What, where are we going with this? Hebrews tells us that the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Isn't that great? God knows your innermost thoughts and desires, those things that you would never say out loud. And there are some people that really don't, you say they've got no filter. Right? There are some people that, listen, they should have more of a filter than they do. But God knows even those things that maybe even the most limited filter, he knows everything. He sees it all. Verse 13 in Hebrews 4 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes, and He is the one to whom we are accountable. God sees everything. There's nothing He doesn't see. Every attitude, every action, every inaction. We're totally vulnerable in the presence of God. Listen, my dog knows when he does something wrong. Like He'll walk in, I'll look at him, and he'll go, and he'll put himself in his crate. Like He knows he knows. It's not because I beat him, I promise. It's innate. He knows. When I mess up, the last place I want to go is to somebody who knows what I did. I want to hide from them. I want to run away from them. But guess what Jesus does? Guess what Jesus does here? Verse 14, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Here we go. This is what it says. Next verse. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Because Jesus walked on this earth, because God sent his son here, because of Jesus, because he felt dirt under his feet, because he breathed this air with his lungs, his heart felt what we feel, his brain thought human thoughts. Guess what? He understands. He looks at your thoughts, your feelings, your deepest things, and he goes, understand. I understand. We're sitting here condemning ourselves and guilty and, and, and regretful and getting, I'm so terrible, I'm awful, if God only knew. No, He knows. He knows it all. There's nothing. You're naked, you're vulnerable, you're exposed before Him. And guess what? He understands because of Jesus. God is not detached, far away, high above, a mystical king sitting on a throne somewhere who has no clue what your life is like. Jesus is someone who gets you. And because of that, verse 16, so let us come boldly where? Let us come boldly where? To the throne of our gracious God. Come boldly to that throne because what are we going to receive there? We're going to receive His mercy. And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. The throne of God is a place of mercy and grace. Grace is getting good that you don't deserve. 
Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting the good that you didn't deserve. The best time to go to the throne is when you have blown it most. It's precisely the moment you want to run. That's when you need to run to him. Go boldly. Not, not randomly, whenever you think about it, but at the precise moment you recognize your need. When you feel like you're going to drown in guilt, go and find mercy. See, it's the, it's the fatal flaw in karma. Karma is you get what you deserve. You know the problem with karma? There's no room for mercy. Everybody just gets what they deserve. You do not want to live in a world where karma rules. It's unbearable. You come to the throne and you find mercy when you need it most. When you don't deserve anything, go, guess what? You find grace. Yeah, I don't even deserve to go into God's presence today. Go anyway. Mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. This entire series, worship has been the key to God's presence. The ark is the throne of God. Jesus transformed coming from the th- to the throne from judgment to atonement, from fear To mercy. One more piece that I don't want to miss out is the cherubim sitting on either side. You see them right there, right? These guys had wings outstretched over the ark. John was given a glimpse of heaven, right? And he says this, all the angels were standing around the throne and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and they worshipped God. The angels represent those who worship God continuously. God would descend between them. So let me ask you, is there an ark anymore? Do we have a box in here with the Ten Commandments and some manna and a staff with almonds on it? No. We don't have an ark anymore. Psalm 22 tells us that God is enthroned now on the praises of His people. He is seated on the throne by praise, by worship. It's the same passage Jesus quoted on the cross when He said, Why have you abandoned me? Yet, I will enthrone you on my praises. See, when we worship, it seats God on the throne. And where is that throne Christ will make His home in your hearts. He will dwell in your heart as you trust in Him. So here's where it comes full circle. Worship seats God on the throne of our heart. When you worship God, you literally seat God on the throne inside you. There's no longer an ark, right? God does it all. You go through that whole tabernacle, and it's all building to a place that God had a dwelling place. It was in a tabernacle in the middle, but only, it was very exclusive. Nobody had access. And then Jesus says, I want to come give you access. And now the tabernacle is here. This is the tabernacle of God. You are the temple of God. He dwells and lives within you. And this is where it gets so cool, right? What was in the ark? The law. Do you know what Jeremiah tells us? I will put my instructions deep within you, and I will write them on your hearts. I will write my law on your heart. Manna, the provision of God, the testimony of what God has done in your life was in the box. Let me ask you, do you have a story of what God has done in your life? A testimony of what God has done in your life. Does it sit in your heart what God has done in your life? That's manna. It's the power of God at work in your heart. So no longer is it sitting in a box, it's sitting in your heart's The law of God, it's written on your heart. You know the law of God. You know when you do something right and wrong. We don't have just this innate sense of good and bad. Where does good come from? I don't know. No, I tell you where it comes from. God wrote it on your heart. That law is not on some stone somewhere. It's inside you. Manna, the the provision is now. And guess what? There was a staff. There was a staff, right? 
How many of you have almonds in your heart? No. It's the supremacy of God. It's the proof of God's authority was that something dead had life. It was a dead stick, but now there's life growing from something that was dead. See, that's what God does. The proof of God's authority in us is the life in us where there was something dead. Lee Strobel says, Jesus didn't come into this world to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. If you're sitting here this morning and you've got new life inside you where there was death before, you have that miraculous staff of Aaron sitting inside your heart. It's proof. I was dead, but now I'm alive. The authority of God to speak to everything. He is who He says He is, and I am who He says I am. Our hearts are the ark of God. He makes His dwelling among us. We come here and it descends on the mercy seat. But wait, there's more. One last piece, the cherubim, arms outstretched. I know it's a lot, but I'm wrapping it up. God descended in between the cherubim. Just think about this. If this is the throne of God, and God was seated now in our hearts, God put those angels on the sides, didn't He? And He said, worship enthrones me. Let me ask you, what happens when you raise your hands in worship? See, when you raise your hands, psalmist tells us, oh, praise the Lord, lift up your hands and praise the Lord's. The raising of hands is literally an offering of praise. And God descends and sits on the throne in between. And what do you find there? Mercy and grace. Every time you need it most. You need mercy today? You're sitting here going, man, I blew it. I blew it. You need mercy? Best thing you can do, praise Praise, because you will find mercy, because God sits on a throne inside of you. You're struggling and you need help today, but you're too proud to ask or too ashamed to ask. You praise, grace, grace just sits inside you. His presence descends on the throne of our hearts. Worship just enthrones the rightful king inside of us. Heart that's got truth. The evidence of new life. I'm going to invite the team back up. We're going to close and we're going to sing a song. I'll give you a chance to raise your hands if you want. You do not have to. But here's your X Factor for this week. Every, every series we do an X Factor. Something just to, to take this and apply it throughout the week. Because it's one thing to hear it and then you're going to go and you're going to forget about it and it doesn't make any difference. Like, yeah, that's pretty cool. I remember there was some stuff with the tabernacle. I don't know. Some people raised their hands, something about God, mercy. I don't know. Okay, let me tell you. Here's a way to put it in practice this week. Here's, here's something you can do today, tomorrow, every day. When you are by yourself this week, when you're by yourself, maybe you're in your car, you get up at work, and you just before you get out of your car, Maybe you're sitting in the driveway, or maybe you're in your bedroom, or maybe you're just somewhere by yourself. And you're sitting there going, you know, I'm, I need, you're thinking about your day, and you go, man, I need mercy, or I need grace today. You recognize that you've blown it, or that you're at a deficit, and you're recognizing God, or you see something awesome of God. Right? There's just going to be just the beautiful weather, and you go, God, you're so good. This is a grace in my life. I think that every time I'm mowing the lawn, and I'm sweating, and I feel a cold breeze. I think in my head, this is grace. This is grace. Thank you, God, for that breeze. 
Because I can't make the breeze come up and I'm hot and I smell like gasoline and oh, that, that breeze is a grace. When you're by yourself, would you just, would you raise your hands? I'm going to challenge you to raise your hands to God every day this week, at least once a day by yourself. Just practice it by yourself. God, I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going to invite you to bring your mercy and your grace into my life and to sit on the throne daily. It might be new. It might be different. It might be out of your comfort zone. It might be, I don't know. You know, I get it. It's clear. Worship enthrones God in our lives. What might happen if you would welcome God to dwell in you daily? If every day you said, okay, I got mercy and grace every day. How might your life be different? I promise you, when you worship, the king sits on the throne. Every time. And you do not come to a throne of judgment. There is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. No, when you come to the throne, you can boldly come because you'll find mercy and grace when you need it most. So we're going to sing. I invite you to stand. It's going to be our way of response this morning. We're going to sing a song that encourages you to to raise your hands. And if you'd like to, you can feel free. No pressure, no judgment between you and God. But would you just consider welcoming God into your life today? Nikki, would you would you lead us? You stood before creation. Turn it in your hand. You spoke the earth into motion. My soul now stands. You stood before my failure. And you stood before my Reap the cross in my shame. Sin weighed upon your shoulders. My soul now. What can I say?
not a single person that doesn't need your mercy and grace. So we come to you worshiping God. We invite you to be Lord. Lord, would we be quick to come to you today? If you're in here today and you say, I need mercy and grace, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me, I need mercy and grace. God, look around. Would you see our hearts, Lord? We come to you. Pour out your mercy. Lord, if there are those living in shame or guilt right now in the where we ask, you would wipe that all away and let there be a flood of mercy in this place. Would we just come boldly before you, humbly before you, recognizing that you forgive, you redeem, you restore, you renew. Lord, you see it all. And you still want us to come to you. But there are those here who need grace, who need who need something good. We don't deserve it. 
choose to give it anyway. Would you pour out your grace? Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Open our eyes to see how good you are. May we be quick to worship you. And this week, Lord, as we practice this, as we lift our hands and as we give you praise no matter where we are, would we find your grace and mercy in those moments? Would we come boldly to you and find you there? You are our great and mighty good King. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Life Tree Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit us at wearelifetree.com or on Facebook and Instagram at wearelifetree.com.